All right, well, hey, Grace, it is, uh, it's actually Wednesday, and uh, I am in the sanctuary, obviously, and Josh Fretz is with me. We're the only ones here. Um, we're like a good 25 feet apart right now, so feeling pretty comfortable about being in each other's presence. Uh, but nevertheless, wanted to try and um, prepare for uh, the, the, the inevitability that Sunday morning we're not meeting and um, like probably virtually every church in America trying to think through and scramble what it looks like to be able to record some video, to have the opportunity to still spend time in God's Word together and do so in a way that doesn't let us get off track too far from what it is that we're currently studying. And, uh, and so we're going we're gonna to take this opportunity to try to start figuring some of this out. And uh, so we're on a pretty steep learning curve, but fortunately guys like Josh and others know a little bit more than I do. And uh, we're going to try to just figure this out. Do what we can to put together DVDs if we have to for those who may not have access to the internet. Uh, we just know some of you in our church uh, just don't even have a computer, might not even know what some of the websites would be called even, and that's okay. Um, on our end, that just means we need to do a better job figuring out how to get you the resources we're trying to provide, and so we're going to be thinking through all of that, uh, but without question, it has been a very, very interesting week, uh, a week unlike any other week that I have experienced, and I imagine you as well, um, and so just as, as your pastor, as one of the men that God has called to, to lead and shepherd you, um, just want to thank you for your support, your prayers, uh, the opportunity to lead you. Uh, I joked the other day in the video that I just did by myself with my iPad um, that uh, one of the things that was never taught in school was how to lead through a pandemic. Um, and so here we are, figuring this out as we go, and uh, to do so alongside of other godly men um, is, is a joy in the midst of the unknown. And to do so, um, and, and quite, quite honestly, to just see some of the creativity emerge out of God's people um, in and around the world has been really fun to watch. And uh, we were praying this morning in our digital prayer meeting that we did for the very first time ever. Um, and it was just praying about how um, when, when you get squeezed, when pressure comes, um, usually what's inside is what gets squeezed out. And it's just been really neat to watch the church more broadly than just Waynesboro Grace, but the church uh, around the world, um, as it's gotten squeezed and things look different than they've ever looked before, um, to respond with some really creative ways to still continue to have the opportunity for us to meet, for us to hear God's word for us to think about who God is in the midst of this pandemic and crisis. And so uh, this is one of our creative ways to do it. We're going to keep thinking creatively as we keep taking the advice and following some of the guidelines that our officials are giving us. Um, but we want to continue to 
spend time in God's Word together and do so as we think about who God is. And if you're just joining us for the first time ever, if you might have stumbled on this, this link or somebody sent it to you, welcome. Uh, my name is Timothy, and I have had the joy and privilege of serving in Waynesboro, Pennsylvania for the last five and a half years as the senior pastor of the Waynesboro Grace Brethren Church. And right now we're in a study on the names of God. And what it is that we're doing is we're looking at the different names that God has revealed to us in his word, in particular the Old Testament, because those names reveal to us something about who God is. They tell us something about him. And as we learn more about him, as we look at the actions with which he has done things, the promises that he has made, we can see his character revealed. And time and time again, the scriptures tell us that God's name is a source of refuge and shelter. It's a source of strength and empowerment. The name of Jesus is the name given by which Men and women are saved. It is the name that is higher than any other name. And so it is a tremendous privilege to think about the names of God with you and to come and approach God's word to learn from him about who he is. And so we're going to aim to do that here this morning, this afternoon, whenever it is that you find yourself tuning in. And hopefully, Lord willing, We know more about who God is. And in the midst of learning more about who God is, we can have greater confidence, greater hope, greater security, greater rest, because he provides those things, and he gives those things to us. And as we learn about him, we put our hope and our trust in him. We rest in who he is and his sovereignty in the midst of a world that is tottering right now. God meets us there, and he meets us there because that's who he is. And so before we go any further, I want to pray with you and for us, and then we're going to jump in, and the names we're going to look at this morning is Jehovah Ra and Jehovah Rapha, and we're going to look at Rapha first and Ra second, and Rapha means healer, and Ra means shepherd, and it's perhaps no more appropriate that those are those names that we're going to look at here today. God is our healer, and God is our shepherd. And as we consider those things, I think there's some tremendous things for us that God's Word has for us, and I'm excited to unpack those with you this morning. And I just would invite you, pray with me, pray for us as we prepare our hearts to open God's Word and hear from Him. Well, God in heaven, we do bow now, myself here on Wednesday, perhaps those watching this in this very moment, and God, we ask that you would be gracious to us and meet with us in a special way, that as we open your word, as we look at who it is you have revealed to us that you are, that we may understand more of you. That this wouldn't be just about head knowledge. We wouldn't just be done in a few moments and have trivia to share at the dinner table. 
facts to impress people with, but we would know more about you. And that in doing so, you would change us. Uh, There's a lot of anxiousness in our world right now. There's a lot of people wondering, will I get sick? What about those who have gotten sick? What about life? Will it return to normal? Will there be a new normal? When will that happen? Those are all questions that we're wrestling with, that we're thinking about. And God, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And though the the earth may totter on its foundations, it is you who steady the pillars. And God, just even today, the, the state of Utah tottered, literally, as its earth shook. But not even that caught you by surprise. And the coronavirus hasn't caught you by surprise. The various trials and struggles that we walk through and find ourselves navigating haven't caught you by surprise. And you've not orphaned us, you've not left us alone. In fact, Jesus tells us that when he departed, he was going to send the Holy Spirit. And so God, we just ask that even now that your Spirit would help us make sense of your word. And that we may know you more, we may love you more, and we may know more of your love for us. And we pray this in the good name of Jesus. Amen. Well, if you've got Bibles with you, you will want to get to Exodus chapter 15. And uh, as I said just a few moments ago, the names we're going to be looking at this morning uh, are Jehovah Rapha, God is our healer, and Jehovah Ra, the Lord is our shepherd. And we're going to spend a lot more time on Rapha than we do on shepherd. We're going to spend a lot more time on healer than we do shepherd. But I want to think through with you what the scriptures talk about regarding God as our healer. And as we've been unpacking over the last several weeks together and trying to understand the names of God, the reasons why we're doing this is because first, names reveal character. Names reveal character. Names tell us something about who somebody is. And that's a little bit of a lost art in our culture today. Um, Some still do it and some still uh, take a lot of time and do a lot of investigation regarding what they're going to name their child. Uh, My wife and I did not take that approach. We kind of settled on the first name we could agree on and then found ourselves after the fact wondering, I hope it has a good meaning to it, and, and it's different today than it was even back when uh, the scriptures were written, and names had a greater significance and importance then, and God's names are no less significant and important, and they reveal character, they reveal the character of God to us. Names also reveal action, and some of the names that God reveals to us about himself, some of the names that are given to altars when God showed up and did something amazing. Perhaps it was a victory won. Perhaps it was a promise made. Perhaps it was a provision given. There was an action that happened that points to 
the character of God. And one of the things that we've been trying to understand over the last several weeks together is that we need to not just simply conclude that the actions that God did then automatically become the actions that God will do now. There's, there's some work that we have to do theologically to understand that yes and amen, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But there are different actions And even today, as we look at, there will be different promises. And we need to hold those things in their right places. Because I think there's actually a lot of trouble theologically for us and in life if we don't hold those things in their proper places. The third thing that we've been trying to unpack throughout this series is that God's names are refuge and power. God's names are refuge and power. Power. And so as we look at the names of Rapha and Rach today, as we think about God as our healer and God as our shepherd, we're looking for these three things. We want to see the character of God revealed. We want to understand more of who God is. We want to understand the actions of God. We want to understand what those actions, or more specifically today, those promises Tell us about the character of God and perhaps what principles there exist in the promises that are given, even if they're not given to us. And we want to see the refuge and power that God provides in himself because he is our source of power. He is our refuge. He is our shelter. And so as we think through the actions of God, as we think through again this today, the more literally the promises of God. One of the things that we just need to understand is not, not, not every promise that God has made in his word is and has been given to every person. Now every promise is going to find its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus as Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. But that doesn't mean that every promise of God finds their yes for every person. God will fulfill his promises. He will fulfill them. They will be yes and amen in the person of Jesus. They just may not be all for us or fulfilled in us. Let me give you an example before we get into our text in Exodus. And this one fits right in with Rapha and Healer. Because here in this text in 2 Chronicles, God tells us I'm going to heal if you do this. And there the writer says, quoting, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. There you have a declaration, a promise of God to heal because he's Jehovah Rapha. That's who he is. And and oftentimes that verse gets thrown around as, as, a, as a tremendous saying or, or promise that needs to be claimed in anticipation of a national prayer breakfast or a national day of prayer. And while there's some principles in that verse that certainly transcend and apply to us, the promise doesn't. The land that God is talking about is not the plot of land here on the corner of 4th Street in Philadelphia. It's not 250 Philadelphia Avenue. The land is not Waynesboro. The land is not even the nation of 
America. Now the principle in this text that I think does apply and does carry over from that promise made to the nation of Israel, the land being Israel, to today is that when you and I humble ourselves, when we seek the face of God, we turn from our sins, that God, God does meet us. He does do some tremendous things, things that he may not have done if we had not humbled ourselves. If we had not turned from our wicked ways or our sin. But we need to be careful that we don't automatically say, well, that's the answer. That's the promise to claim that God will heal our land. God is healer. That's his character. But his actions, and more specifically this promise that he's given us, is not necessarily for us. It was made to specifically the nation of Israel. And if we're not careful... Or if we're sloppy, theologically, I think we end up in some really troubling positions or conclusions. And what I want to do this morning in thinking about these names with you is is actually a, a bit more about how to think theologically and do good theology than it is necessarily even understanding these names. Because if we're not careful or we're sloppy, we end up in some troubling positions because we can be looking for things that aren't there to be found and one of the ways I was trying to just think of how to illustrate that was uh, all all four of my kids are now riding a two-wheeler one of them still needs some training wheels but all four of them are on a two-wheel bike and it's a lot of fun to just go out with them and we did that as a family yesterday and we took a family bike ride together and when I was teaching every one of my kids how to ride a bike without fail it was all four of them it was far easier for them to pedal backwards than it was forwards and I couldn't understand it and I still don't but for them the mechanics of their feet going this way was an easier motion for them to grasp and replicate than their feet going this way however Regardless of how easy it was for their feet to go backwards, they didn't go anywhere. In fact, the type of bikes that they have, the type of bikes that most kids have, you pedal backwards and you actually engage a brake mechanism and your tire just doesn't move at all. I think there's some similarities there where if we are looking for certain promises or claiming certain things to be true that God has not told us to either look for or claim, it's a lot like trying to pedal that bike backwards and then wonder why we're not going forward. And so as we think theologically today, we want to understand what does it mean for God to be our healer? What does that mean? And so in Exodus 15 verse 26, we see God's declaration to the nation of Israel that he is the healer, the Rapha. The, the name Rapha just means to restore to health. It's, it's pretty accurately translated as healer here and this isn't the first time this word's been used in the old testament it was used in genesis uh, but it is here that we have god saying i am your healer and he does so in giving this promise to the nation of israel he does so after they've come through the red sea he has 
conquered the Egyptian army and the chariots of Pharaoh, there has been a tremendous victory and provision made for the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel in getting across the Red Sea, they, they sing a song in Exodus 15, then they get a little thirsty and they find a bitter source of water and they wondering where are we going to get clean water to drink and they grumbled. And that's something that we see the nation of Israel do time and time again. They grumbled against God. And God said, you know what? All right, Moses, you throw the tree into the water source. And that bitter water became sweet. And then in verse 26, we'll begin just before that in 25. There the Lord made for them a statute. And there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes. I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord, your healer, your Rapha. Now this word healer is used throughout the Old Testament and quite frankly if we weren't studying the names of God given to us in the Old Testament this would not be the first text that I would go to for us to see this name and understand this name because this name is given to us. God reveals this to us, reveals about his character and about his promises to us in his word in the context of giving a conditional promise to the nation of Israel. And he will repeat similar sayings several different times throughout the book of Exodus and even into Deuteronomy as this nation's trying to figure out what it looks like to be a nation, as they're figuring out what it looks like to be free from 430 years of captivity and now to be a nation that has to figure out how to get along and how to have certain laws and how to have certain provisions. And God gives them some conditions and he gives them the law. And the law provided promises which were conditional. And you hear one of them. It's, it's before, just a few chapters before the Ten Commandments are officially given. But this idea of conditional blessing is repeated several different times. And here in Exodus 15, God says, look, if you do these things, if you obey my commandments, you keep my statutes, then I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Well, it doesn't take very long for the nation of Israel to not do those things well and to fail. It's in chapter 16 that they're hungry and they grumble. At the end of 15, they're thirsty and they grumble. At the beginning of 16, they're hungry and they grumble. And quite frankly, the Snickers commercial was dead wrong. They have told us for the last several years that you're not you when you're hungry. And quite frankly, the truth is, you're probably most who you are when you're hungry. Or at least I am, because it's when I'm not having either the food that I want in my belly or the drink that I want that I find myself the most irritable. And I can identify with their grumblings as the result of their hunger. There's something about the lack of food and water that can sometimes bring out the worst in us. If you've got little kids, you might have used the expression hangry in your home. It's where you're hungry and you're angry. 
That's probably a pretty good way to describe what is happening with the Israelites. And in chapter 16, God says, look, I'm going to give you manna. And for six days, you're going to collect it. And the seventh day, you're going to rest. But don't worry, because on day six, I'm going to give you a double portion. So for five days, you're going to collect a single portion. On day six, you're going to count and collect a double. And on day seven, you're not going to go out. And Israel didn't obey. And then towards the middle, if not towards the end of chapter 16, some of the people went out and they found no manna. And the Lord said, how long, verse 28, will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, it wasn't very long after God said, look, if you do these things, I'm going to bless you. Because I'm your healer. But they found themselves unable to. To do these things. Well, it's in Exodus 23 that we see another instance where this idea of a conditional blessing shows up. The word healer is not used, but the expression is there nonetheless. And the blessings conditionally are there nonetheless. And in verses 25 and 26, we read, You shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from among you. None shall miscarry or be barren in the land, for I will fulfill the number of your days. Here's another conditional blessing that is based on serving the Lord your God. If we go to Deuteronomy chapter 7, there's another instance there as well where God reiterates something very similar to the nation. And in verse 12 we read, And because you listen to these rules and keep and do them, the Lord your God will keep with you the covenant and the steadfast love that he swore to your fathers. He will love you, bless you, and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, your grain and your wine and your oil, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock and the land that he swore to your fathers to give you. And again, it's conditional. And because you listen to these rules and keep and do them. And one of the things that we need to understand as new covenant believers is how we interact with the old covenant. Because we're not under the old covenant. And the Mosaic law, that old covenant, was not given to us. It was given to the nation of Israel. And there were promises given in the Mosaic covenant. What is referred to as the law. And those promises were most succinctly summarized to be blessing for obedience and cursing for disobedience. But those aren't necessarily promises that you and I can just simply claim. Now promises and the promises of God, like the actions of God, they flow out of the character of God. And so there's some things that we can learn Perhaps there's even some principles that we can glean and apply to our lives. But we cannot just condition or take these conditional promises and automatically apply them to ourselves. We've got to do more work than that. And here's, here's one of the ways that we could do that, which I think gets us in some goofy places theologically. And thinking about God as our healer and God telling 
the nation of Israel. Look, if you obey my commands, you're not going to have these these sicknesses that the Egyptians had. You're, you're not going to have wombs that are barren. You're not going to have fields that don't produce the way you want. I think there can be a problematic conclusion for us if we just simply say, if you obey, you'll have children. If you obey, you'll have prosperity. If you obey, you'll have whatever it is. And part of the struggle with that is that we live in the midst of a fallen and broken world. We live in the midst of a world that is groaning underneath the weight of sin and because of the consequences of sin. It doesn't function like it was designed to function when God created it and said, this is very, very good. And unfortunately, wombs are barren. And if we, if we do sloppy theology and say, well, no, if you had just obeyed, you wouldn't have the barren womb because God's your healer. It's right there. There's, there's an Old Testament text that we can apply Quite frankly, I think we do a whole lot more damage to the faith of the one struggling underneath the reality of the broken world that we live in than we ever do to encourage or give hope. And we've promised them a way forward, but all we've done is just sat on the bike and pedaled backwards. And we've run the risk of damaging the faith of those who experience a world where the reality of the fall still exists. In a world where sin has been conquered, but its effects are still very much felt and known. And so to just simply take the promises of the Mosaic Covenant, the blessings for obedience, the curses for disobedience, and just to simply say, look, if you, if you just obey, God's your healer. You're not going to have those struggles. It's not just sloppy theology. It can be devastating to the faith, to the soul of those struggling and one of the things that we need to do is we need to go beyond that. We need to do better work than that. And the Mosaic Covenant is not the covenant that has been given to us. It was given to the nation of Israel. I mean, quite frankly, the nations even surrounding the nation of Israel at that point in time were not given the Mosaic Covenant. The law of not eating milk and meat together was not a law the other nations had to obey. But it was a law the nation of Israel was given. And God had reasons for giving it. And his laws are good laws. But what happens is that Jesus comes and he tells us that he fulfills the law. And we're no longer underneath the law in the sense that we are required to obey all of its commands. Rather, 
as Jesus instructs us in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, he actually takes many of the well-known places of the law, the well-known ideas of the law, and moves them from just mere actions that our hands might do to attitudes and dispositions of our hearts. And so he would say, you've heard it said, you shouldn't commit murder, but I say to you, and then he goes on to explain that even having hatred in your heart is as if you've committed the act. And he pushes this idea of holiness far beyond just what our hands may do. He pushes it to the place of where our hearts are. And in Matthew 5.48, he tells us, look, you've got to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And as we thought the last time we gathered together about the names of God we studied, that the Lord is our righteousness, that we can't have or find that perfection in and ourselves. Rather, it's a gift that God gives to us. As we think ahead and forward to the New Testament, because God is the same today, yesterday, and forever, because that is who Jesus is as the image of the invisible God, the exact imprint of his nature, we see Jesus healing. Because that's who God is. He is our healer. And we see Jesus healing. And we see that taking place in two primary senses we see the first being that of spiritual healing and the second is that of physical healing perhaps it could be argued that in the ministry of Jesus the physical came right alongside the spiritual and there'd be no argument there but I want us to think about where we find ourselves in the engagement today with God and Jesus as our healer Jesus came healing. He healed many. I believe the ability for Jesus to heal and the fact that he did so with such wide-ranging effects was a demonstration of his claim to be Messiah. Many of the miracles that Jesus performed were miracles performed to show that he was who he said that he was, and that his claim to be God was legitimate because he could calm the wind and the waves by just speaking. His claim to be healer was legitimate because he could just speak, and the man could get up and rise and walk. But he also forgave sins. Today, you and I, find ourselves first and foremost being healed spiritually. The promise that we're given, the guarantee that we are given, is that when we place our faith and trust in Jesus for salvation, that we find spiritual healing. That's the guarantee. That's the first and foremost healing that you and I experience Physical healing is not a promise guaranteed for this life. It is a promise that is guaranteed, but it is not a promise guaranteed here and now. And in thinking through God as our healer, God as our Rapha, we need to think through these things in the right way. 
Because if we guarantee physical healing to be something for here and now, and it's not a guarantee that God's made, we run the risk of deeply wounding people that are praying, that are seeking to live godly lives, and that are wondering, why me? What did I do wrong? What should I have done differently? When the answer is not that they needed to find a different way to get God's attention. The answer is that we've not yet been freed from the consequences of sin. And I want to look first at spiritual healing in 1 Peter, and then I want to think briefly with you about physical healing in the book of Romans. But it's in 1 Peter chapter 3 that we are told, beginning in verse 18, that servants are to be subject to their masters with all respect, Not only to the good masters and the gentle masters, but to the unjust masters. Think of that how you would think about in your employer-employee relationship. It's easy to love a boss who's a good boss. It's easy to work hard for a boss who's a good boss. It's a whole other thing to like and work hard for a boss who's not a good boss. And we're told to be submissive to those masters, to our bosses, For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrow when suffering unjustly. For to what credit is it if you, when you sin, are beaten for it and endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing into the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Peter's saying, look, I want you to think about what Jesus did when he was here. I want you to think about the relationship you have with your employer. And here it would be the context of of master. I want you to think about that relationship. And I want you to think about the example of Christ who suffered the greatest injustice that was ever and has ever occurred in the history of mankind. He goes on to tell us that Jesus committed no sin And neither was deceit found in his mouth. And when Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And in verse 24, we begin to see Peter speak about this healing. That Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Peter gives us a clear definition of what he is talking about here. He is not talking about the absence of difficulty at work. He's saying that these things are true in the midst of difficulty at work. Peter himself could have very easily quoted Isaiah 53, By his wounds, you have been healed, and applied it to physical healing, and he himself had experience that you and I have never had. He had some credibility in this conversation regarding physical healing that you and I just don't have. Acts tells us about what the ministry of those apostles did 
And I believe it's in chapter 5 that we're told that people were bringing out the sick and the disease so that just even the shadow of Peter could fall on them. And this was a guy that saw a lot of physical healing in his day. And here he quotes Isaiah 53, that by his wounds you have been healed and does so in applying it to the spiritual. That the healing that Jesus gives is for us to die to sin and live to righteousness. That he bore our sins in his body on the tree for the purpose of you and I dying to sin and living to righteousness. I believe the healing you and I first and foremostly experience as believers, the one that we are guaranteed to experience as believers, is a healing from our sin. From the presence of our sin, from the power of our sin, and from the penalty of our sin. That when we place our faith and trust in Jesus, that we become new creations, that that old nature leaves A new nature is given to us. We no longer have a sin nature. We are freed from the presence and the power of sin. We're no longer obligated to say yes to disobedience like we were as unbelievers. Now we actually, for the first time in our lives, as believers, have a choice. That's why you find actually believers to be some of the most conflicted people around. Because there's a conflict and what choice they want. Because there's still this, this depository of indwelling sin that we fight because our body's not yet been redeemed as Romans 8 unpacks for us. But the guarantee, the healing that you and I are guaranteed to experience because God is our healer is a healing from the presence, the power, and the penalty of sin. There is the potential for physical healing as well. God certainly has the power to do that. There are certainly instances in the scripture and in testimonies around where that has occurred. In our own experience here in Waynesboro Grace, we have at times had the privilege of praying for, anointing with oil those who are sick as James 5 has commanded them to ask the elders to do. We've seen God do miraculous things. The unexplainable. We've also seen God heal through medicine. We've also seen God give sustaining grace in the midst of an ongoing or an enduring struggle or trial where there's not been healing, there's not been medical or miraculous healing. And in fact, when those have asked us To pray for them, that's what we specifically have prayed for. That God would do only what God can do. That he would show up in a way that only he can show up. And that there would be miraculous, instantaneous healing. And we've seen that. But we also pray that God would heal through medicine. And we encouraged every one of those people, and we will continue to encourage every one of those people, whoever come to us or ask us to pray for them, that they go and they investigate and pursue all avenues of medicine possible. Because God does heal through that way. It's part of his common grace where that actually happens to believers and unbelievers. That right now there are men and women working furiously 
to find a vaccine for COVID-19. And we need to do everything we can as believers to support that. And the, the possibility of miraculous healing doesn't all remove the fact that we should support and encourage all avenues of medicinal healing. We also know that sometimes God doesn't heal miraculously. He doesn't heal through medicine. But rather, he gives sustaining grace in the midst of the trial. The reason why you and I still sin, the reason why you and I are susceptible to getting sick with COVID-19, the reason why we experience brokenness and loss in our world is because the world is still groaning. The full and final redemption of our bodies that is promised in Romans 8 has not happened. And until that day when that is consummated, we and the created world around us groan underneath the consequences and the weight of sin. And Paul tells us these things in Romans 8 and in verses 9 through 11 we learn some significant things that the body is still dead. The body is still mortal. And that means that you and I still are capable of getting sick. Even as believers, we're capable of getting sick. We're capable of contracting COVID-19. As believers, we're also still capable of sin. And our bodies have the capability of indwelling sin as our flesh wants things that it shouldn't want, as our mind thinks in ways that it shouldn't think, as our emotions feel things in ways that they shouldn't feel. And part of what the Spirit does through the Word of God is transforms those desires and thoughts and emotions. That we're no longer conformed to the pattern of the world. We're transformed And so Paul tells us in Romans 8, 9 through 11 that the body is dead. And in verse 11 he says, If the Spirit of Him, that's the Holy Spirit, who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. That there is a promise that one day there will be physical healing. That our bodies will be fully redeemed. That the promise that you can take to the bank, the guarantee that exists because God is our healer, is that sin and sickness will not have the final word. COVID-19 will not have the final word. A, 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 A sudden loss will not have the final word. Death will not have the final word. Jesus will have the final word. And so knowing the name Jehovah Rapha is not some magic secret that somehow allows you to get all the things that you've been missing. And that's been one of my big concerns throughout this entire series, that as we look at the names of God, that we don't somehow find ourselves thinking superstitiously that now we found a way to rub the genie. 
knowing the name Jehovah Rapha points our gaze and our direction up to our sovereign creator and his character. And when we use the word sovereignty and we talk about God being sovereign and ruling and reigning over all, we don't want to throw that, that, that word or that phrase around like a band-aid to somehow make you feel better about what it might be that you're struggling with. Rather, I think from beginning to end, the scriptures portray and speak and reveal the sovereignty of God is not this band-aid we toss around like we do with our kids where they get a scratch and we're like, oh, just get a band-aid and it just magically gets better. It's not a band-aid we throw around. It's this weighted blanket we rest under. That even in the midst of not knowing, not seeing, not understanding, wondering, praying, seeking, pleading, all of these things that are a part of the human experience, that these things have not happened outside the direct knowledge of God, and the sovereignty of God. They haven't caught him by surprise. And he is still ruling and reigning. And we've not been promised here and now in this life healing. And in our bodies and in the created universe, there still exists the brokenness from the consequences and the effects of the fall. And that will exist until. Jesus makes all things new. And so here's some ways to take this and maybe think through it a little bit more specifically. The first is, it's okay to groan. Creation's groaning. Creation's groaning under the futility that it was, that it was subjected to. And it will groan until it is set free from its bondage to corruption which will happen when the redemption of the children, sons and daughters of God happens. It's okay to groan. You and I feel that groaning. We see that groaning. We experience that groaning in some ways that quite frankly we think of as trivial. But it's still a part of the groaning. I suspect you've started pulling weeds in your flower beds. Maybe you've thought about planting flowers and maybe getting the garden ready. Just yesterday, I filled up an entire trash can full of weeds from the back parking area behind our house. Those weeds are the result of the fall. There's a groaning. My back felt it after I was done. But maybe you wear eyeglasses, need hearing aids, have had surgery to correct knees or hips that no longer function the way they do. Maybe you know somebody that's had open heart surgery and there's a groaning because things just don't work the way they should. It's okay to groan. Even the very best of what we experience today doesn't compare with what God originally created for us and what he will have for us in the new heavens and new earth. Secondly, it's necessary to grieve. 
It's okay to groan. It's also necessary to grieve. There is a brokenness inherent in our world. We say goodbye to loved ones, perhaps long before we would want to. And there's a grieving, there's a groaning and a grieving that's part of our experience. And none of that means that God somehow failed as our healer, or we somehow failed in having enough faith. It's it's a part of the brokenness that still exists in our world. And it's okay to groan. It's necessary to grieve. And thirdly, for our good, in God's glory, we grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where Paul goes in Romans 8. I'm not going to read it for the sake of time, but he moves from the groaning of creation, the groaning of, of you and I, to then our inability to pray even in the midst of some of the most, the most troublesome parts of that groaning. And he says, the Spirit meets you there. And the Spirit ministers and that God's doing something and that God's unbreakable chain of salvation that he began before the foundations of the world will be completed in his process and his goal that we be conformed to the image of his Son will happen. and We grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's okay to groan. It's necessary to grieve. But for our good and God's glory, we also grow. We draw near to God. He is our healer. And He has guaranteed spiritual healing. Physical healing is certainly a possibility. It is not wrong that we pray for that. It is not biblical that we guarantee that. And in the midst of living in this world where there is still brokenness, it's okay to groan. It's necessary to grieve. And God intends for us to grow. I don't want to spend a ton of time on Jehovah Ra. Rather, I just want to read Psalm 23 with you. There perhaps is the most well-known instance where shepherd is used. Jesus says himself in John 10, I am the good shepherd. Jesus claims these things for himself. But Psalm 23 gives us an incredible, incredible picture of God as our shepherd. And David writes, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare A table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell 
in the house of the Lord forever. Would you pray with me? Well, God, you are our good shepherd. And you have come and you lead us as your flock. And God, we thank you for the goodness and the mercy that you give to us. God, we thank you that you are our healer. And that first and foremost, you have promised and you guarantee spiritual healing. God, we thank you that you also meet our physical needs. Whether that's by miraculously healing us, healing through medicine, or providing sustaining grace in the midst of the trial if the healing doesn't come. And God, I pray that you would help us to know more of who you are. That in our waiting and in your working, we may know more of your love for us and in turn, love you more. And we pray this in the good name of Jesus, who is the good shepherd, whose wounds have purchased our healing. The one who is the same today, yesterday, and forever. The one whose name is higher than any other name. Amen.